Everybody doing okay? Yeah? All right, good. Well, I'm excited to be with you this morning um, to share a word with you that God has laid on my heart for um, a long time. And so when Lyle said, hey, um, would you want to preach on the same day that you have your baby shower and on the same day that we're doing communion, I said, sure. You want me to baptize some people and do some weddings and no funerals, no funerals today. Okay, so. I said, sure, uh, God's laid this on my heart for a long time, and so I'm excited to share with you this morning. Um, I want to give you just a little bit of background. A lot of you guys know me and know Crystal, but some of you uh, may not if you're a guest. I kind of want to fill you in. Um, my wife, Crystal, and I, uh, right down here, yes, I did marry up. Um, I don't need you all to keep telling me that. I've, we got it, okay? Um, my wife, Crystal, and I um, are expecting our first uh baby we got a little boy that's coming into the world um in october um lincoln samuel kelly will be here um in seven weeks and i kind of want to give you a little background about crystal because crystal kind of had a different upbringing than a lot of people normally have um and she's totally cool with me telling you guys this so don't freak out like i can't believe he said all that she knows okay um crystal crystal was born um uh right outside detroit michigan in a little place called troy and uh, Crystal did not have the typical upbringing with parental units that a lot of us have had. Okay, Crystal has never met her dad, never had a conversation with him. She knows his name. She's seen one picture of him, has no clue where he's at at all. Uh, he's never been a part of the picture. Um, Crystal's mom um, has also pretty much been non-existent um, for most of her life because her mom has been in and out of prison constantly. Um, in fact, when Crystal was, when her mom was pregnant with Crystal, uh, when her mom went into labor, they came and got her from the prison, took her to the hospital where she gave birth to Crystal. And then when she was healthy enough, her mom went back to prison. Um, Crystal was raised by her grandfather, um, Lincoln McCammon, thus our baby Lincoln. Um, and Crystal grew up with her grandfather um, until she was 12. And when she was 12, her grandfather passed away and she moved down to Knoxville, Tennessee and lived with a great aunt and a great uncle um, who uh, are coming to be at our shower with us today. Her great aunt, Aunt Lucy. Aunt Lucy got the privilege of raising Crystal during the teenage years. Teenage girl years are great, right? Dating, makeup, clothes, drama, right? So Aunt Lucy has got a huge mansion in heaven full of jewels waiting for her, uh, for dealing with Crystal. Uh, but her Aunt Lucy kind of raised her during those years. And, and when Crystal and I got married, I knew it was going to be a situation where, um, as we began to talk about expanding our family and growing our family, I knew it was going to be something that was going to take some time. Because um, the idea of being a parent, the idea of being a mom, was a little bit foreign to her because she never had a mom. Growing up, she never experienced that. She even thought my interaction with my family was oftentimes weird. Like we would hang out and she'd come home and she'd like, you and your mom did that or you and your dad did that. That's weird. I was like, no, that's normal for fathers and sons and mothers and sons. Like that's just normal. She never experienced that. And so it was a foreign concept to her. And so we kind of knew, well, we're going to take a little time to decide and kind of make sure that this is what God wants for us. And so we did. We took some time. And about two and a half years ago, we decided that we felt God leading us to um, expand our family and, and to, to welcome a little one into the world. And so 
as we began that process, we, we quickly kind of discovered that we weren't going to be able to do that naturally, just easy. Um, Crystal had a condition that was kind of slowing things up. And so we, we figured out that we were going to have to have a little bit of help. And so we began a journey with Nashville Fertility Clinic and through um, IVF treatments. And I'm not going to tell you that whole story because if you've ever been around anybody with IVF, it is a roller coaster. There's really high, great days. There's really low, sad days. And you just kind of have to ride it out. And um, we did that. We've, we've been doing that. Um, and luckily for us, we're kind of um, the rarity in the number. But we went through one IVF cycle and did one embryo transplant. And we have one baby on the way. Um, a lot of people, it doesn't work as easy as that. Um, and so... We are now seven weeks out from welcoming in Lincoln into the world. And let me just tell you, as seven weeks out from the birth of my first child, I am terrified. And y'all are laughing. I want you to think back. My parents here, I want you to think back to the days leading up to your first baby. Some of you are like, I don't want to think back there. Okay? It, it's a little scary. Like, we're going to have a child, and then 48 hours later, the nurses are going to, on purpose, send this kid home with us. They don't know me. They don't know my wife. They don't know where we live. They're sending, it, I told first service, it's harder to adopt a dog now than to go home with a baby. Like, you try to go adopt a dog right now, you've got to fill out paperwork. We've got to come see your house. You've got to pay. Babies, is this yours? It's got your tag on it. Here's, okay, here you go. See it. That's scary a little bit. And that's where we're at. Seven weeks from now, my life will drastically change for the good and for chaos when our son gets here. And so over the last several months, my focus has begun to shift. Right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Your, your focus begins to shift. And that's kind of where I've been at. Two years ago when I got up, I hopped on ESPN.com. I read about the latest UT football story. Now I'm reading articles about how to be a good dad, how to raise good kids, how to raise strong boys, right? And I've, I've been on this quest because I want to know how to raise my son the best way I can. I want to know how to raise him the right way, right? And not just because I want to be a good parent, but also, and this is where I hope you can get on board with me here, because as Lyle has so wonderfully pointed out in the last several weeks, our culture is shifting big time. And it is shifting away from the Lord. And I know that my son, when he comes into this world, being a Jesus-believing Christian is going to be harder than ever. And so I want to be prepared to lead him the right way. I'm so thankful for Lyle. A lot of you I know have voiced this too and have said this to him. I'm thankful for, we have a pastor who did the counterculture series the last several weeks. That who, uh, we have a pastor who will stand up here and will proclaim God's word amidst things that the culture says are not okay. That, that's big time, guys. Because um, I posted a quote from Tony Evans this week. We got a lot of people who are deciding what's right and wrong right now based on opinions instead of truths. And I want my son to be raised on truths, God's truths. And here's not, I just don't want my son. This is where I think we have to get together this morning. Church, we have 
a generation crisis that's about to be on our hands. Right now, the kids who are downstairs in kids worship, Lyle told you last week, those kids, as they grow up, eight out of ten kids their age are not going to have a relationship with Jesus. And the way it's moving, by the time Lincoln gets here, that may be nine out of ten kids are not going to have a relationship with Jesus. That's scary for me. That ought to be scary for us as a church. And so as I've done all this study, and I've read, I've read Christian articles, I've read non-Christian articles, I've read everything I can get my hands on about being a dad and being raising good kids and all that good stuff. And I keep coming back to one verse. One verse in Proverbs that I think sums it all up. It's a verse you guys are all familiar with, I know. Um, we've been studying Proverbs upstairs with our students the last couple of weeks. And it's a verse that's found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And the verse is this. It simply says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. All the articles I've read, everywhere I've searched, I have not found a better piece of wisdom. I have not found a better piece of parenting advice than this right here. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so as I read that verse, and I've kind of thought about it and read it over and over again and studied it, it's become really, really clear and apparent to me that our number one goal as a parent, our number one goal as a grandparent, our number one goal as an aunt or an uncle, as a Sunday school teacher, as a neighbor, Anybody in here who has influence, and here's where I need you to get on board with me. How many of you have your own kids? How many of you are grandparents? How many of you are uncles and aunts? How many of you uh, have neighbors that live near you that are young? Right? This is everybody. Okay? So this is not just a message for parents. This is for all of us. Okay? All of us as believers, and I'm going to walk you through that. But our number one goal, our number one task is this. Okay, our number one goal is to teach and model Jesus Christ. Our number one goal is to teach and model Jesus Christ. That has got to become our focus. This has got to be a shift that we make as parents, as grandparents, aunts, uncles, all those things you mentioned. This has got to become the focus of what we're doing to teach and model Jesus Christ. How do we do that? I'm going to give us three things this morning that I think we have to do and able to accomplish this. Okay. The first one I want to talk about parents love it. Students hate it. Okay. And that's the word discipline. Right. The word discipline. Before we continue, I, got, I do this with the students on Wednesday nights. We've got to make sure we're all on the same page. Okay. Who wrote the book of Proverbs? That's right. Come on now. Solomon. Good. Okay. All right. And what was Solomon known for? He what? He was super wise. What else? He was filthy rich. Yeah, a lot of wives. Okay. Odd pairing there. Okay. I have one wife and there goes all my money. Okay. So, all right. And what do we oftentimes call the book of Proverbs? The book of 
Wisdom, right? This is the book of wisdom. So Solomon is going to drop some wisdom on us this morning. The word discipline is all over the book of Proverbs. I'll just give you some examples. Proverbs thirteen twenty four. Solomon says this. He says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. He says again in Proverbs nineteen eighteen. he says, discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Proverbs twenty two fifteen, Solomon says, a youngster's heart. Doesn't that sound like a grandfather? A youngster's heart, right? A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. And one more, Proverbs twenty nine seventeen, Discipline your children, and they will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. Parents, isn't that a nice verse? Discipline your kids, and they're going to make you happy. Now, I'm not, this morning, it's not, a, I'm not trying to have a debate about, do I spank my kids, do I not spank my kids, okay? I'm not getting that debate. I think Scripture's pretty clear on it. My dad was very clear on it. He, he had no problem practicing what he preached with the discipline department. But here's the thing. We have got to teach our students and the next generation responsibility. We have to teach them accountability. We have to teach them that there are consequences. We can't bail them out over and over and over again. Even as much as you want to help your kids out as a parent, we have to let them learn a little bit. And it's weird. We tend to do this pretty well when they're little, right? They're little kids and they're learning to walk. We let them fall down a few times like they, they have to, to do it. But for some reason, when our little ones get into teenagers, we kind of take our foot off the gas as far as the discipline goes. I, I hear people tell me all the time, well, Jeff, you'll understand this when you have your own kid. When you have one of your own, it changes everything. I get it. Okay, I've had 150,000 people tell me that. I understand. Things are different. Okay? But can I just say, I've been doing student ministry for 18 years. And there are some behavior patterns that don't change. There are some behavior patterns that when we see them, I can almost tell you where the result is going. And when we take our foot off the throttle of helping to discipline our children, when they become teenagers, they're going to be so mad at me. Like, these guys are not going to talk to me Wednesday night because I'm like, you need to discipline these guys, right? We have got to help our students out. They're 15, 16, 17 years old. They don't know everything yet. They think they do. They tell you they do. I know that, right? They don't know. We have to discipline them, but we have to discipline them the right way. I have kids. I've had students at at other churches and at this church before. I'm like, hey, man, I missed you Wednesday night. Where were you? Well, I was grounded. What? Well, I didn't get my homework done, so mom wouldn't let me come to church. What do you guys want me to do as a youth pastor in that situation? How many how many games do you think kids have been grounded from? I've never heard of a kid say, well, I didn't get to play my my softball game or my basketball game or my baseball game because I was grounded. I've never heard a kid. Hey, well, I didn't go to school and take my test today because I was grounded. We don't ground our kids from athletics. We don't ground our kids from academics. But for some reason, we ground our kids from God's Bible study. 
We have to discipline them, but we've got to help them learn what's right. That's another part of the word discipline. Discipline doesn't just mean spare the rod, spoil the child. We're not just talking about the spankings here. This Hebrew word that's used here in Proverbs for discipline also means we have to teach. We have to help instruct. In in, uh, Ephesians 6, in verse 4, it says this. Students love this verse. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. They, and then they stop right there. Okay? They're like, Dad, the Bible says, don't make me mad. Right? And then they stop. Okay? But it also says this. It says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Our job is to teach the next generation the disciplines that come with being a follower of Jesus. The disciplines of love, grace, kindness, compassion, servanthood, justice. Those things are way more important than our kids being good at algebra or knowing how to shoot a basketball or knowing how to make a play on the soccer field. Those things are great, but those can't take precedence over God's disciplines. Those have to be our focus. When we talk about raising our kids, we're talking about raising a generation of believers, a generation of students who are going to help swing people and the church back to God. This has been going on. This command has been going on for years in Deuteronomy. Right. When Moses is walking with the people after he's rescued them from the promised land, he says this. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. And he says this to him. He says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. Talk about them when you're on the road. Talk about them when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's the number one focus of what we should be teaching our kids? How to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. It trumps sports. It trumps grades. It trumps everything else. Second thing that I think we have to do if we're going to swing the tide is we have to make sure that we are daily aligning ourselves with God. You and I as parents... As aunts and uncles, as grandparents, whoever, whatever role you play to the younger generation, we have to daily align ourselves with God. In Joshua 24, I love, we've been studying the story of Joshua with our students upstairs on Sunday mornings. And Joshua led God's people through victory after victory after victory after victory. And he still had to constantly deal with God's people struggling with, well, who are we going to worship, right? And in Joshua 24, he says this, he says, if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you're going to serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We have to make a decision, church. We have to make a decision, parents. We have to make a decision, grandparents. Who are we going to serve? 
what is going to be the number one focus in our households? Because here's, here's my problem. My job as a student pastor, Ellie's job as a children's pastor, are irrelevant. If students are going to come here on Wednesday nights and on Sundays and hear God's word preached and taught, and then they're going to go home to a house where it's not practiced. You understand? We're telling them, hey, this is what God says. This is what God wants. And then they go home and we do what we want. Our kids are confused. I'm going to be real honest with you. They're confused. Well, I know the Bible says this, but at home we do this. So I'll just hang out here somewhere in the middle. That's not what God's called for us. If you read throughout Scripture, you know what God's love language is? It's obedience. He tells us over and over again in Scripture, I will know that you love me by your obedience. If you love me, you will follow my commands. You will do what I ask you to do. That's how God knows that we're committed to a relationship with him. That's how our kids are going to know that we're committed in a relationship with him. Is if they come home and the same things they talked about at church on Sunday and Wednesday are the same things being taught and practiced at home. And here's the thing. You and I, we struggle. There's parts about me, I have personality traits I do not like about myself. And I would expect you guys probably would too. If you don't, you might need to get a reality check. Go ask one of your friends. They'll tell you something about you that they don't like. Psalm 139 says this at the end of it. One of my favorite psalms. David says this in verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Can I tell you guys, this is a prayer that every single one of us in this room ought to be praying every morning. God, search me. Any junk that's in here, remove it. Today I want to serve you. I want to teach and model you to my kids. For me to be able to do that, I need you to get the junk out of here. I've learned, guys... There is no saving power in the name Jeff Kelly. There is an abundance of saving power in the name of Jesus Christ. And I can't tell you how many times I try to do something on my own. And then when I fall flat on my face and fail, you know what I do to the creator of the universe? God, why don't you come give it a try? How crazy does that sound? God is able to do abundantly so much more than we can. If we will just get ourselves out of the way and say, God, I need you to get this stuff out of my life so that I can lead my family. I can lead my kids into a relationship that teaches and models you. We can't teach something we don't know. Jake Gaines is here. Jake and Becca used to be our youth pastors here. They're in from Memphis. Glad to have them here. Uh, yesterday, Jake spent all day building a coffee table for us that is now in our house. And it looks awesome. It's like looks like Pottery Barn 100%. And I watched him do it a little bit. I will not be teaching any of you how to build a coffee table. Because I'm clueless about it. I watched him for hours. And I'm like, I don't know what he's doing. 
Uh, he's measuring that. Okay, I got that figured out. But I have no clue how he did it. I could, I could, look, I could take it over, take it apart, look at it. I still have no clue how he did it. Some of us are trying to teach our students and raise our kids without having any clue about what God's word says. Because we don't find time to fit God's word into our schedule. We can't teach and model something that we don't know. And, and please hear me. I'm preaching to myself as much as I am anybody else. It is my responsibility to know God's word and to teach my children God's word. And to do that, I have to daily align myself with him. This is the last thing. And this is the number one thing that I think is keeping the church from being what God intended it to be. And it's this. I think the third thing that has to happen is that we have to start praying for and with our families. I don't think that the church has even scratched the surface on the power of prayer. We go to prayer when we need something. We go to prayer when somebody in the family gets sick. But we're missing the boat. Look at 1 John 4. I'm sorry, 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. It says this. It says, And we are confident that He, being God, hears us whenever we ask for anything. Here's the kicker. That pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our requests, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. God has given us this tool in prayer, and He basically says, you can ask for anything that you need that fits with my character, and I will hear it, and I will respond. Now, I can't go to the Lord and say, God, you know, we got a baby. There's just me and Crystal at the house. Things are getting a little hectic. I'm going to need six more wives. A, I'm not asking for that. B, she'd kill me before they got there. But God's not going to honor that request because that's outside of God's character. I, God, I need a million dollars so I can go buy a boat and just relax. I, God, I work hard. I just need to relax on my boat. I'm not getting a million dollars to go buy a boat because that's outside of God's character. But if I go to the Lord and I, with 100% of my heart, ask for something that fits with God's character, do you not think he hears us? Do not think he honors that? Scripture says it that he does. It says in Philippians chapter 4, passage a lot of people are familiar with, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about it. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand, and his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It says don't, don't worry about things. Pray about them. When's the last time that you, as, your, as a family, prayed together? And I'm not talking about like the 15 second before dinner prayer. That you like, we got to say this so we can eat. Like God is going to make your food teleport off if you don't say it. When is the last time you for real got together as a family and prayed together? Parents, when's the last time you prayed for your students? Not... God, please let them quit being so annoying or, you know, God, let them pass a class. But for real, pray for the future and the spiritual health and relationship of your kids. Students, when is the last time you prayed for your parents? And not just like, please let dad give me the money I want. 
please let them buy me a car this weekend. When's the last time you prayed for your parents and you said, God, please give my mom and dad, whoever it is, grandparents, please give them godly wisdom to help guide me along. We quit praying as families. A lot of us have quit praying as individuals. And we've quit praying as a church. And we wonder why the next generation is headed for corruption. This morning, my challenge, my call, my hope this morning was that we as a church family that is full of smaller families, that we would choose this morning to commit to playing our part in raising a godly generation. Because here's, here's the last point. It is going to take every single one of us in this room. Whether you have kids or not, whether you don't really like kids or not. As part of God's people, we are called to teach and model Jesus Christ to the next generation. If we don't do that, we cannot be surprised. We cannot complain about where our country is headed, where our church is headed, where our society is headed. I am terrified about the world that Lincoln is coming into. I can either sit by and, oh, man, it's just going to be crazy. Hope he does okay. Or I can mobilize and I can do whatever I can to change it. I can pray. I can seek God out daily. I can make sure I'm disciplining him the best way I can. And I truly believe that as we as a church and as we as families would get on board with that, guys, I really think we could begin to see revival. Revival is not going to start with me. It's not going to start with Lyle. It's not going to start with the deacon body. It's going to start with God's people deciding to say, you know what? We have not been doing all we've been tasked with. And it's time to start doing it for the benefit and health of our generation to come and the generation of the church and the health of our country. And so this morning, we're, I, the youth guys preaching, we've got to do something weird, right? I told Lyle, I was like, I'm, the young guys preaching, I only get to do it once every six years, so we've got to do something crazy. So this morning, we're, we're going to have communion. And, and I, at first, when Lyle was like, it's communion Sunday, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That's one more thing we've got to do. I'm glad that we're doing this this morning because what, we, what happens at communion, what we... Communion, I think, for a lot of us is just like kind of some of the things we've talked about. Communion is another thing that we just kind of go through. Emotions without thinking about the symbolism and the regard for it. And when we participate in communion, that's taking and sharing the body of Christ and taking it onto ourselves. Where we say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this morning, my prayer is that we as a church would get on board and say, yes, I want to be Christ to my kids. I want to be Christ to my coworkers. I want to be Christ to my grandkids, my nieces, my nephews. I want to be Christ to the neighbor across the street. I want to be Christ to the young guy at work, whoever it is. I want to be a, a picture of Jesus. I want to be a model of Jesus for them. This morning, we're going to do communion just a little bit different. 
We're going to kind of close the service a little bit different because it's one of those things where this this is not about me needing you to come down and say, good job. I had 100 people for first service. Good job. Come down and shake my hand. Good job. I appreciate that. But this isn't about me preaching. This is about God's message. This is about living for the Lord. This is about getting our families right and focused. So this morning, as we kind of close out, this is how it's going to happen. We're, we're not going to have an invitation where I'm asking you to come. We're going to kind of have an open-ended time of communion. I'm going to encourage you, if your family is here, I'm going to encourage you, get together as a family and pray. Some of you are like, man, we haven't done that in a long time. I, start now. Start today. Start forming a new praise habit today of praying together as a family. If your family's here, I want you to find them and I want you to pray together. And then I want you to come and take communion together. If you're here by yourself, I'm not trying to exclude anybody. If you're here by yourself, I, I, I encourage you. We've got tons of people who let, love to let you join them. If you're part of a Sunday school class, find your Sunday school folks. Come down together as a Sunday school family. Come down with a couple of friends. That's totally fine. If you say, I just want to come down by myself this morning, that's fine too. But this morning, I want, us, I want us to get back to being families that pray together. That ask God for revival together. We're going to ask you to come and there's, there's four loaves of bread down here and there's a cup there. And some people are germaphobes. We're freaking out like, are we all drinking out of the same cup? No, we're not. Okay. You're going to tear off a piece of the bread, which is symbolic for me. I know other people may think this is a super weird way to do it. For me, it's symbolic because the tearing of the bread, that's, that's the breaking of Christ's body. Christ's body that was torn and broken for me. Take the bread and we, you're just going to take a piece and you're going to dip it into the cup. Dip it in the blood of Christ and then you take it. The altar is going to be open. If you want to come together and pray, take communion together. If you want to come and just Spend some time with the Lord. There's going to be some music playing. The band's not going to be playing. We're going to be playing some music. And uh, we're going to invite you to come. I'm not going to get up here and close, close the ser- service out. We want you to come and pray and take communion and spend just a few minutes with the Lord. I pray that this will be a time of recommittal of you and your family with the Lord. And then when you feel like you've done what God has called you to do, you're free to go today. There'll be ushers at the door with offering plates that we ask you to put your offering in. They'll get mad at me if I don't tell you that. But this morning, something's got to change. We can't expect our country and our culture to just do a 180 on its own. The only thing that is going to change and save this world is God's people living out God's commandments the way God has intended. And that's on you, and that's on me. And I'm excited to see what could happen if God's people, God's families would start living the way he's instructed us to live. I will be down front if you have been visiting and you say, hey, even the youth guy's not too weird, I want to come join this church, come on down. I'll be happy to talk with you and we'll, we'll get you hooked up. Um, Maybe you just want to come and pray. I'll be down here if you want to talk. I'm happy to sit down here and pray with anybody that wants to talk and and pray. Maybe you realize I've never trusted in Christ. I've heard a lot about it. But I've never decided to fully live 
for him. I've never decided to, I want my life to be about teaching and modeling Jesus. If you want to come and accept Christ for the first time, I'll be here. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you about that. But besides that, when I finish praying, Diane's going to hit a little bit of music. And at that point, it's your freedom. Again, my hope is that you'll find your family, pray together, come and take communion together, and leave with a refreshed spirit. Will you pray with me as we close out today? Lord, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth and the guidance and the wisdom that we find in your word. And Lord, my heart is burdened for the youth of our country, for the generations to come of our country, God. Lord, I know you teach us in Scripture not to worry about anything. And God, that's something I have to battle with because I am worried about my son's future in this world in this culture we live in but you command us in scripture not to worry about it instead of worrying that we should pray so god we as your people want to do that this morning we want to come and we want to seek you we want to glorify your name god we want to ask for your forgiveness in our families where we failed you We want to ask for your forgiveness in our personal lives where we failed you And God, we want to boldly ask for revival to begin and take place in the families of First Baptist Goodlettsville. That we might begin to change and affect change in the lives of our students, the lives of our families. God, we honor you this morning by partaking of communion together as we take on the body and blood of Christ. God, let us be dead to our old selves and made new in the likeness of Christ. God, we give you these next few minutes of worship together. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.